You're listening to Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary. There is an old saying, any port in a storm. The rain has an acute ability to make beggars of us all. It leaves us wanting for dryness, warmth, quiet, and most of all, shelter. Such is our desire for this final element, that we would risk finding it in the unlikeliest or unfriendliest of places. Then we nullify the danger by making it something whimsical, then come up with a phrase for it. Any port in a storm. So it was that I found these five words repeating in my mind as I trudged fruitlessly down the old narrow road through a deluge, hoping that I could find any kind of shelter. The autumnal skies were already darkened with heavy rain clouds, blocking out most of any useful daylight. The unknown road was lined with great trees on either side, and as the clouds kept churning, I thought it best to try and find my way clear of them, in case lightning followed. So when I saw the smoke of a chimney stack blowing from somewhere just off the path ahead, I cried out in relief. As I approached, I found it belonged to a large and lonely-looking house, almost completely hidden behind a small wall and an overgrown shrubbery, protected by two wrought iron gates, which each had the letter D built into the filigree. It seemed rude to intrude, but I had no other choice, so I pulled one of the creaking gates open and slid over the threshold onto the grounds. The house was large, though not audacious. Despite the wealth required to own such a property, it seemed a subdued-looking place. I couldn't help but feel a strange sense of melancholy as I stepped closer, as if the house was sad to be so alone. I walked across the drive and approached the door, but when I was a few meters away, it opened slightly on its own. A woman stood, staring out through the gap with a wary expression. I ceased my approach and apologized for my intrusion. Who are you? She asked, having to speak up slightly so as to be heard over the downpour. What do you want? Forgive me, I said. My name is Anthony. I seem to have found myself stranded on this road, and I fear, with the coming storm, I'll either be washed away or frozen to the bone. Might I ask for some shelter until it passes? The woman maintained her cautious watch on me. Stranded how? She said. Do you mind if I explain that to you from inside? I asked feeling the relentless whip of the wind sting my cheeks numb. The woman quickly glimpsed at something behind the door, and then returned to look at me. It's not my house, she said, 
I'm the housekeeper, Miss Perkins. Ah, Miss Perkins. Well, would you mind asking the owner of the house for me then, please? A few seconds passed where she stared at me blankly, and I wasn't sure if she had heard my request. Just as I was about to repeat myself, she snapped back to our conversation and, unexpectedly, smiled. No, she said firmly, and I was suddenly sure that my only chance of shelter had been snatched from me. No, they trust my judgment. Please, come in. She pulled the door wide open, and I was elated. I expressed my sincerest gratitude and rushed inside. Are your employers home? I asked. I'd like to thank them for their hospitality. Lady Lydia is upstairs taking some rest. The master is outside on the back porch. In this weather? I asked, surprised. Miss Perkins simply nodded. The master likes to watch the rain. I shall fetch him once dinner is ready, and extend your thanks to them then. She then turned and stepped out of the room for a moment, and upon her return, she handed me a rather old but comfortable-looking blanket. I accepted it with more thanks, and threw it over my head and shoulders. Once I stopped dripping, she bade me to remove my waterlogged shoes and place them by the door then guided me into the living room towards the fire. Feeling the heat was like greeting an old and sorely missed friend. I was guided to the seat closest to the hearth before she took her own place slightly further away. There was no other light in the room than that from the flames, and as she sat in its glow, I could see that her expression was filled with a kind of gentle sorrow one beyond her years. There was a scar on her left cheek that ran from just beneath her eye to her hairline. So, she said suddenly, in a calm but assured voice, you were going to explain what brought you here, but I warn you, if I'm not satisfied with the answer, then I will have no hesitation in putting you back out there. I chuckled as playfully as I could. You don't trust me? Miss Perkins gave a slight smile, but fixed her eyes on me more keenly. This house was built miles away from anywhere for the sole purpose of being off the beaten path. The master and mistress are deeply private people and did not want passers-by constantly stumbling upon the house. Being as far away as we are from town, I can't imagine you were just out for a leisurely stroll. Are you a criminal? I chuckled. No, miss. Rest assured, I'm not a criminal. My story is actually rather embarrassing. My brother and I were travelling home to Middleswade from the town, and... Well... I ended up saying something to him which he didn't like, and he kicked me out of his carriage, abandoned me to the elements and the strange roads. Seems a cruel punishment for harsh words, Miss Perkins said thoughtfully. I sighed. He's always had a temper. Been that way since we were boys. I'll meet up with him in due course, and he'll apologize as he always does. But that doesn't help me now, seeing as though he's taken my only way home and all my luggage. 
Miss Perkins looked into the fire, stifling a smile of amusement. For a few seconds, she stayed silent, and only the crackle of the fire and the clatter of the rain outside could be heard. I have a sister, she said at length. Her voice was quiet and her brow furrowed. We've always told each other everything. Siblings should never be afraid of telling, nor hearing the truth. Ever since I came to this place, I've written to her every fortnight and let her know all that's happened, even when it broke her heart. Now it was my turn to have my curiosity piqued. Why would receiving a letter from you break her heart? She checked over her shoulder, seemingly ensuring that we were indeed alone. Once she was satisfied, she turned back to the fire. I came to work for the Danvers a little over three years ago. Master Ambrose and Lady Lydia were well known for their wealth, of course, but they also had a reputation for being extremely reclusive. It had been years since anyone had seen either of them in public. The only confirmation that they were still alive was from the rare visit by their solicitor, or doctor. So when the opportunity for a live-in housekeeper was posted in the paper, every woman across three towns must have applied for the position. A smile flickered at the corner of the housekeeper's mouth as she said this. But they chose me. Emmy was so proud. That's my sister, by the way, Emma. Within a week I was packed and on my way to my new dream position. But then I got here, and it quickly became clear that this wouldn't be the appointment I thought it would be. I wrote to Emma on my first night and told her how cold and lonely the house felt, how my room was cramped and damp, and how my new employers were poorly tempered. A sound from out in the hallway made us both jump, and we both looked out to see if one of the Danvers had stumbled in to hear Miss Perkins' tale. After a moment, she continued. I told her how they would constantly bark orders at me and never believed the work I had done to be satisfactory. At first I feared that I was simply doing a poor job and they would dismiss me soon, but they never did. Then they started getting worse. They would start ridiculing me or intentionally ruin a task I had just finished and ask me to do it again. They started withholding my meals at random then would throw their own leftovers into the fire to prevent me from eating those. They would sometimes wake me in the middle of the night by banging a pan with a wooden spoon. I was afraid to go to sleep at night, for fear of what they might do. If I heard the sound of Master Ambrose's wheelchair coming closer, I would instantly freeze and be unable to catch my breath. Tears formed in her eyes, and I felt a rush of pity. I don't know if they were always like this, or... It was almost as though this isolation, this house that no one goes near, had twisted their minds and emboldened them to do whatever they wanted. If I had died, it's possible no one would ever know. And you told your sister all of this? I asked. She nodded. Why didn't she do something? Or tell someone what's been happening? because I asked her not to. She said that she would go to the authorities, but who would believe that this frail old couple from a long and respectable family would be capable of such things? 
and if the master or mistress found out, they would take greater lengths to punish me. Once, Emmy told me she would come and collect me herself, but I told her never to come within a mile of this place. I would not have their ire directed at her for all the world. I sat, horrified at this woman's tale. I now feared the arrival of my hosts, for I knew I wouldn't be able to hold my tongue before them. She then sighed, and her expression brightened, as if waking from a daydream. Her tear-glistening lashes glinted in the firelight. But then it all changed. You see, just before the summer, I became unwell, severely so. Even now, I sometimes still feel as though I'm only just emerging from the fever. But when I did finally pull through, I found the Danvers' regard towards me had completely changed. It's as if my illness made them see how lost they would be without me. Since then, they treat me like one of the family. I eat with them, we talk together, go for walks. I still serve them, of course, but my duties seem so much easier now that they aren't so cruel and I'm allowed to sleep. I wonder sometimes if this isn't all just a dream. I was suspicious of the Danvers' change of heart. From experience, I had never known anyone change their attitude so dramatically over such a short time, and I imagined that this was another cruel ploy. When they pulled the rug from under her this time, the fall would be even more devastating. Even so, I let nothing give away my thoughts to upset her. Your sister must have been pleased to hear it, I said instead. A glimmer seemed to cross her face, as if she had completely forgotten about her sister. It lasted only a second or two before she added, Oh yes, I told her all about it in my last letter. She was so pleased to hear from me after all the time I was ill. Your last letter? I inquired. You only just told her you were feeling well again. Forgive me, but I thought that you wrote to her every fortnight. If you were ill at the start of summer, I thought you would have told her that you were feeling better much sooner. A wave of confusion rushed across Miss Perkins' expression. She looked as though she were trying to piece a puzzle together in her mind. Well, I sent it just as I got better in June. Has it... has it been longer than that? Miss Perkins, it's October, I said. She bit the nail on her thumb as the puzzle in her mind slipped further and further from her. I... with so much on, I must have lost track of things. <laughs> she gave a little nervous chuckle, and I wondered if her ordeal had affected her more than even she realised. Suddenly, a broad smile tightened its way across her face. In the glow from the fire, its effect was slightly unnerving. Either way, the result is the same. I don't have to be so scared all the time. Mr. and Mrs. Danvers are now treating me so nicely. I finally feel like I can call this place home. I merely nodded, calmly, and attempted an encouraging smile in return, before turning back towards the fire. Where are my manners? She said at length. 
We should find you replacements for those wet clothes, at least so you'll look more presentable for dinner. I thanked her for her generosity, but told her there was no need to trouble herself, and I couldn't impose on their meal. But she would not hear of it. Dinner is almost ready anyway. That is where you will meet the master and mistress. I'm sure there are some clothes upstairs that should fit you. Come, and we shall find them. She held her hand out in the direction of the parlor door. I nearly protested again, but her bearing was so resolute that I thought better of it and walked out of the room. Carrying a freshly lit candelabra, she guided me up the long wooden staircase, and in the soft light from the candles, I saw that the walls were dotted with tall portraits of severe-looking faces. One, an older-looking gentleman with a balding head and a proud white beard. The other, of a woman with long features and a dour expression, whose thin lips curved downwards unpleasantly. Mr. and Mrs. Danvers? I asked. Miss Perkins turned and looked upon the paintings with amusement. These were made long before I arrived here. They certainly don't look like that now, but yes, this is them. Being able to put a face to the deeds from the story did not alleviate any of the horror. In fact, their expressions seemed imbued with cruelty, as if their nature had been captured with every stroke of the painter's brush. My discomfort must have been apparent, as at that moment, Miss Perkins turned to me once more and said, They are only paintings, sir. They can't hurt you. She proceeded onwards up the stairs. Thunder rumbled outside. She led me into a large room on the first landing, towards the back of the house, filled with huge, ornate wardrobes and cabinets, and had a lounging couch in the middle. This is Mrs. Danvers' dressing room. She walked to the largest of the wardrobes and opened it, revealing a wide array of splendid-looking dresses. Aren't they just divine? She added, stroking the sleeve of a dark blue velvet piece. I stayed at the threshold of the doorway, acutely aware of how inappropriate my entrance into these private chambers would be. It looks lovely, Miss Perkins, but do you really think we should be handling your mistress's clothes? She gave a dismissive little wave. Since my recovery, Mrs. Danvers has been kind enough to let me view her wardrobe whenever I want. She even lets me try things on, if I think they will fit me. This did little to comfort me. I wanted the rain to stop, so that I could act on my increasing urge to leave without ever meeting my hosts. Since we had arrived at this upper floor, something had disquieted me, and it was only now that I began to realize what it was. Where the downstairs areas were neat and well attended, this level was unkempt 
and looked like no one had serviced any of the rooms or even lived up here in a while. There were layers of dust on the surfaces and an unpleasant smell in the air. Miss Perkins then pulled another wardrobe open and took out a pair of folded trousers, as well as a shirt and a jacket. I'm afraid the shoes won't fit you, but these should make you a little more comfortable for the moment. She laid them neatly on the couch. I'll let you put these on while I fetch the others for dinner. It shouldn't take too long. She bade me step inside and then took her leave of me, shutting the door as she left. I inspected the clothes, but could see without picking them up that, much like the shoes, these two would not fit. They had been neatly tailored, but for someone who was of a smaller stature than myself, and so I left the pile there on the couch and stepped to the window which overlooked the garden. The grounds were extensive and stretched out further than I could see. There was a bandstand in the middle of the lawn that was painted in white and blue. There were few flowers, but it was very green. I turned my head towards the house and found the porch area Miss Perkins had mentioned. There, I caught my first glance of Mr. Danvers. His head and shoulders were obscured by the roof of the porch, but I could clearly make out the wheelchair and his slouched figure, wrapped in a blanket, sitting in it, facing out to the garden. Given the tempestuous nature of the storm, I found it strange that he would be outside, whether he had a predilection for doing so or not. The wind had tossed and whipped at my face so much that I could not bear it for very long. So for a man of his advanced years to still be sitting out there enduring it was a puzzle to me. Just then, I saw the shape of Miss Perkins' skirt appear behind him. She took the handles of his wheelchair, turned him around, and led him back into the house, out of my view entirely. The amount of time that he was observable must have only been a matter of seconds, a minute or two at the most. But I found that just being able to see the man who, thus far, I had only heard about from stories, changed my idea of him. Though I did not doubt the veracity of Miss Perkins' account of what she had suffered at the hands of this couple, it seems hard to think of someone as frail as Mr. Danvers to be physically capable of some of the actions she had described. Either way, I found I lost my fear of him as a threat. After a few minutes, I was stirred from my contemplation by the ringing of a bell from downstairs to signal that dinner was ready. I straightened out my still damp clothes as best I could and gladly left the room behind me. I eventually found my way to the dining room, which was empty but for the freshly laid table. The aroma coming through from the kitchen was remarkably inviting, and I suddenly felt very hungry. As much as I wasn't eager to meet either one of my hosts, I still found it very strange that neither of them had responded to the bell. 
At that moment, Miss Perkins strolled in, carrying a bottle of wine and two glasses. Oh, you didn't change, she said, disappointed. No, I'm afraid I'm too oversized for my own good, I smiled, trying to keep the mood light despite my ever-growing unease. Will Mr. and Mrs. Danvers be joining us? I asked. Miss Perkins placed the bottle on the table. Mrs. Danvers won't. She's still upstairs, resting. But Mr. Danvers will be through shortly. If you'll pardon me for a moment, I'll fetch him. At this, she left the room and went around a corner, leaving me alone once more. I looked at the bottle she had left upon the table, and, limited though my knowledge of wine may be, I saw it was a very old and expensive vintage. Certainly not what you would expect to serve at a casual dinner occasion such as this. Even the silver and glassware seemed to be of an extremely high standard, which no one in their right mind would leave a stranger alone with as cavalierly as I had been left. Then there came the sound of rolling wheels from the hallway, and I stood as upright as I could to receive my host. At first it didn't register. Miss Perkins wheeled the chair into the room, smiling happily. The frail old man was crumpled down in his seat, as I had seen him outside. But his head was shrunken, withered, and flaking. His lips were pulled back taut in a terrible grin that exposed each of his teeth. His skin was grey and rotted, great chunks of flesh missing so I could see down to the terrible bones. The socket of his left eye and cheek had been smashed away as if by a very powerful blow. Mr. Anthony, please let me introduce you to Mr. Danvers, Miss Perkins chimed. My attempts to scream were stifled by my gagging at the wretched sight before me, and I could do nothing but shrink away from it. Miss Perkins looked at me with a puzzled expression. Mr. Anthony, please don't be rude. It would be polite for you to greet Mr. Danvers properly. With this, she started to wheel the corpse in my direction, making me shout for her to stop where she was. Her expression soured. A wildness came into her eyes. Don't you speak to me like that! Her voice was strained and cracked with rage and anguish. No one speaks to me like that anymore. Never again! Something had come over her. This was not the same person I had conversed with earlier, and the transformation was frightening to behold. Slowly, it occurred to me that this was the fever she had mentioned earlier. The one that made her black out for days. And when she came out of it, her employers had miraculously changed their ways. Because they were dead. I stumbled out of the room aghast and dashed down the hallway to the front door. I tried the handle, caring not for the storm still raging. But to my horror, it was locked. Miss Perkins appeared in the hallway, still pushing the terrible corpse of Mr. Danvers. I cried out again at the sight of him. Mr. Anthony, 
You are being very rude. Trying to leave after all we have done for you? We are very disappointed. Then, from behind the chair, she slowly drew an axe, the head stained with dried blood. I nearly fainted at the sight of it. Not knowing what else to do, I ran up the staircase as quickly as I could and ducked into one of the rooms at the front of the house, hoping I could find a way out through a window. I took a last glance behind me to see if Miss Perkins had followed, and at that moment, her face appeared at the top of the stairwell, staring straight at me. I gasped and closed the door, throwing the lock across swiftly, only to find I'd sealed myself in with something just as terrible. Mrs. Danvers' body lay face down next to the bed, as if she'd been tossed in carelessly. The back of her head had been bludgeoned, and dried blood caked her clothing. For a moment I was paralyzed, too afraid to move any closer to the body, until the sound of a great pounding struck the door beside my head, making me fall to the floor, almost right on top of Mrs. Danvers' body. Another blow struck the door, and on the third, splinters flew from the wood. Panic overwhelmed me like a tidal wave. Outside, Miss Perkins was screaming, but nothing she said made any sense. At one point, she shouted that Lydia was a traitor for harboring me, and that she would fix the both of us once she was inside. Once again, I pleaded with her to stop, but the relentless beating of the axe would not. A crack appeared in the wood. Trying to regain my wits, I noticed the window was just about large enough for me to fit through. I made a dash towards it, but was stopped by an explosion of splinters that flew throughout the room like bullets. The crack was now a hole in the door panel, and Miss Perkins' frenzied eye appeared at it, scanning the room. Upon seeing me, she let out a guttural cry, as savage as any beast's. I scrambled to my knees and desperately searched for any words to reason with her, but my pleas went as unheeded as before. Then, not knowing why, and without even thinking, I shouted, Miss Perkins, please! What would Emma think? What would she say to you if she could see you now? For a moment she was silent, and all movement ceased. Then from the other side of the door, I heard her whisper, Emmy? I seized my chance and quietly crept across the floor to the window. I opened it wide, and as I did so the hinges creaked and the sound of the rain filled the room. This was enough to shake Miss Perkins out of her reverie as her wild utterances resumed and her axe beat against the door once more. I positioned myself in the window frame. The ground was further away than I would like but even so, I clutched at the sill and lowered myself down. The ledge was slick from the downpour. At any second I could have slipped and tumbled to my death, 
but I didn't care. Even a death by falling was better than what awaited me in that room. I was as close to the ground as I was going to get. It was now or never. I let go of the ledge and fell for a stomach-churning moment before crashing into the flower bed below. I gasped, trying to replenish the air that had been knocked out of me as the tumultuous sky shot harassing raindrops into my face. There was a pain in my left hip that felt as if I'd been shot. But I was alive, and miraculously, nothing seemed noticeably broken. I had no time to enjoy my survival. I stumbled to my feet and tried to run, but my hip wouldn't allow me. So hobbling, at as great a speed as I could muster, I bolted for the wrought iron gates. As I reached them and pulled the creaking things open, having to fight against the force of the wind to do so, the sound of the door, violently collapsing, came from the open window. I feared that upon finding the room empty, she would be straight down the stairs and out after me, and I redoubled my efforts to make my increasingly numb-feeling hip work. But instead there was a terrible sound. Something that remains to this day one of the worst things I have ever heard. Miss Perkins screamed so loud that it could be heard clearly over the storm. But this was no normal cry of frustration. This was a bestial, unnatural, and somehow pitiable thing as if it was coming from some ungodly creature. In some ways it was. I couldn't help but think that this diabolical couple had pushed their lowly housekeeper to her limit, hoping for some kind of response to satisfy their sadistic desires. In the end, all they did was create something even more monstrous and destructive than they were. When I think back on it now, of all that woman had to endure, I can't honestly say I wouldn't have done the same if I were in her position. Maybe that was why I never told anyone about her. Despite my pity, despite the storm, and despite my aching body, I ran ran until the awful house was nowhere to be seen and the lights from the nearby town glittered before me. I left her behind, alone in her castle, with only the dead for company. She may still be there now. This story was written by Andrew Bate and read by Andrew Bate and Chloe Gorman, with music also by Andrew Bate. 
Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary is an audiobook series by Moth Sanctuary Productions. You can subscribe to the series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and YouTube. Follow Moth Sanctuary Productions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or for more dark delights, visit mothsanctuaryproductions.com.